Hey, we want to thank you for taking time out of your busy schedules to join us on the JF Podcast. It is our hope that this most recent talk teaches you, inspires you, and challenges you to live the life you were designed to live. If this message has helped you in some way, help someone else by sharing it. And if you want more information about who we are, what we do, or you'd like to contribute to our community, you can find us at JolietNaz.org. Thanks so much for listening. Hey, thanks, Leonie, for uh, sharing that great record with us. You can give her a hand. Uh, Well, we are in the final week of our Running in Circle series, and we've been saying over the last few weeks that, uh, hey, you've heard this phrase in life. If you've been alive for any minute, you've heard this phrase, running in circles. And usually we use that phrase to describe people that are what? Chaotic, crazy, out of control, and just downright nuts. And, and very rarely do we look at people who are running in circles and say, hey, I'd like to be like them, right? Nobody, nobody ever says that. Nobody wants to look like somebody else who's running in circles because we just know that people who run in circles aren't healthy. But, but as we've been saying, and I know it's hard to believe over the last few weeks, we are trendsetters here. We are on the cutting edge of everything. And so we, we believe that running in circles is a healthy thing. Uh, we truly believe that. In fact, Uh, If you haven't been with us, we've been saying this over the course of the last three weeks, which is this, that running in circles is life essential. That running in circles is life essential. In fact, we've been saying if you aren't running in circles, there's a good chance you'll be running in circles. That's right. And so we truly believe that running in circles is life essential, that it'll change lives, that it saves lives, that it strengthens marriages. We believe that it develops your character. But most of all, we truly believe that it moves you forward in your faith journey. And really, that's why we exist at this church. I don't know if you know that, but that's why we're here today, is that our goal is to move you forward in your faith. We don't want you to be stuck. And what's so interesting is we're actually addressing this very subject today. And if you didn't get it from the video, thanks to Leonie, um, today's main idea is that running in circles takes serious work. Running in circles takes serious work. So would you pray for me before we begin? Lord, we do give thanks for this time. I pray that you would be present, that we would be open and receptive to the words that you're about to say to us. And it's in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I could, uh, over the 4th of July, a, a, uh, my family and I went to uh, my parents' cabin, which uh, houses uh, maybe 10, 11, 12 people, but we had 22, 23 people all crammed into two rooms. It was a lot of fun. Uh, it was also very hot. It was 100 degrees out over the course of the week. And so we, we do what normal people do. We go to the pool, and we, we loved going back to the pool that I grew up in. Uh, much of my life was spent at the pool on hot summer days in Ohio where it gets really muggy and just downright sticky and we go to, that's right, go Ohio, go Buckeyes. Um, and at the same time, uh, we would go to this pool, like, I would run into friends that I haven't seen in years. And I just so happened to run into my best friend, my best friend. Now, I know you're saying, how can he be your best friend if you haven't talked to him in 10 years? Good question. Uh, but I ran into my best friend growing up. His name was Tony. We used to, literally, we lived next door to each other. We'd get up in the morning, we'd put on our Hutch football pads, and we'd go out and we'd beat each other up. But I ran into Tony. It's probably been eight or nine years since I've seen him. You know how it works. You get jobs, you have kids, you have families, you move. It's hard to keep keep up. We're both, we're not on Facebook. He's like, hey, are you on Facebook? I'm like, no. Are you? He's like, no. And he's like, we wouldn't have a discussion if we were on Facebook, because we'd already know all this stuff. And so uh, it was great to catch up with him. He has beautiful kids, a wonderful family. Um, But I was asking him, I said, 
hey, tell me what you're doing these days. And he said, well, I started a business with my dad. Uh, his father was in the, the glass business. They used to make windows and all sorts of things uh, with glass. And, and they started their own company. And Tony is the boss. Tony's running it. So how weird is it that you're, you own this company with your dad, but you're the boss of your dad? I said, how's that working out for you? And um, he said, well, you know, some days we go at it. You know, we, we have some big fights. But he said, it's a lot of fun. It's, it's, a great, it's great to be able to work with him and, and just to continue to, to have this father-son relationship. Um, but he said, I, gotta be, I have to be honest, the hardest part of my job, and you could probably resonate with this, is working with people. Uh, he said, that's the hardest part of my job, is working with people. If I didn't have people, it would be really easy. Um, but he said, at the end of the day, it's really rewarding work. I love being the owner of the company, and I love running this business. It's just a lot of fun. And, and so he asked me the question uh, that I often dread, which is, hey, how do you like being a pastor? Now, I, I don't know if I just didn't give glowing reviews about what it's like to be a pastor, but I know that later on in the conversation, we came back to it, and, and he said to me, he said, so is it that you just don't like being a pastor or that you just don't like where you are? And um, I don't know what I said to give him that idea, but uh, he asked me that question, and I said, yeah. I didn't mean to give you the wrong impression. That wasn't what I meant to do. I really love being a pastor. In fact, I don't know that I could do anything else in life, literally. I mean, I don't think I have the skill set to do anything else in life but this. And so I'm really, if you fire me, I'm, I'm really in trouble because I'll just be jobless for the rest of my life. And so um, I do love doing what I do. It's a lot of fun. I, I enjoy it. But I also told him it's also a lot of work because like you, we work with people. And people can be difficult and people can be hard. But I told him, man, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, I love it because it is rewarding. When you see people's lives change, when you see people moving forward in their faith, when you see people growing and hungry for God, when you see new leaders coming up in the, that's exciting and that's rewarding work. And then he said something to me that I never anticipated next. He said, it is fun. It's just great to see people who are working in their profession. It's good to see people who are working at what they do. He said, do you remember all the smart kids that we used to go to by? Tony and I weren't the smart kids. We were, we were the dumb ones. Um, actually, we were just average, but you know how that works when you're trying to be at the top. So he said, do you remember all the smart kids that worked really, really, really hard in their classes? And then they went to college. They went to these great colleges that you and I didn't go to. We went to these amazing colleges, Ivy League colleges, and we got these great degrees. And then they get their dream job. He said, it's so interesting. When you look at their lives on Facebook, they, they just look like they're bored out of their minds. He said that they're just like, it's like they got the job that they wanted, they worked so hard, and now they're just coasting until retirement comes. And he said, it, very rarely do I ever find people in life who are still working really hard in their profession. And I think what he wanted to say, and what he was saying, uh, just haphazardly, was that most of us have an inclination to become idle in our lives. That many of us in our lives and even in our faith journeys, we become idle. We become idle when it comes to our experiences. You, you know this, and I know this, when we start a new chapter or we have a new adventure or we start a new experience or a new job, you remember, right? And this is kind of really important. We kill it up front and we coast in the back. We kill it up front and we coast in the back. Or we work in the beginning and then we just wait until the end, until retirement comes. 
And, and you know this, right? When you started a new job, you remember you wanted to impress your boss. And so you were just working and working and working. And you wanted your coworkers to be jealous of your work ethic. And so you stayed late. You worked late. You never gave up. But then you got promoted or your boss recognized how great you were in your work ethic. And you received that promotion. And it was just like, hey, I'm here. And that's good enough for me. And you really just sort of slowed down. It's kind of like when you start working out at the beginning of the year. We have these like three or four intense workouts. And then suddenly that becomes like the slap of a snooze button. Like, I'm not getting up today. I'm not getting out. You were really adamant about losing weight. And then just kidding. Or in school, you know this. Uh, maybe you're in college or high school or, you know, and you, be, you begin and you're like, I'm studying hard. I'm not staying up late. I'm not playing video games. I'm not going to be on social media. And you do that for a couple weeks. And then by, you know, December, you're like, when's Christmas break? When's spring break? When is summer break? I'm really done with this. And this is true when we follow Jesus. If you follow Jesus for any minute or you, you know, would say that you're a Christian, you've had this experience. You remember when you gave your life to Christ. You remember this, right? Most of you, most of you were really excited about the fact that you made a life-changing decision. And so you, you ran after God. You were reading every day. You were praying every day. You were talking to people. You were asking questions. You were passionate about what you were believing in. And then over time, as you become more churched, if that's the language we could use, uh, we just start to coast in our faith. We start to coast in our faith journey. And we really stop working. We stop working at what really takes lots and lots of work. Y'all with me on this? Anybody else had this experience? See, you know this. Like, just look at your average week. On Sunday, on Sunday, you come here, and we give you a challenge, and you walk out. Now, if I were to come to you on Wednesday and say, hey, what was the challenge? You'd be like, you know, I don't remember. My, my brother-in-law, when we were at the 4th of July, showed up on a Sunday, on a Sunday, and he's like, my pastor had a great message. I just don't remember what it was. <laughs> I'm like wow, dude, I really should just quit doing what I do because if that's how it goes at your church, I just don't want to be, you know, like what a waste of time. But that's kind of our experience. We know what we're going to do on Sunday. We're pretty excited. And by Wednesday, you were like, what did we talk about? Or, or maybe you've done this with your Bible reading plans. I'm sorry, I'm guilty of this. Like I had this great idea to do the 90-day challenge where you read the Bible in 90 days. And, um, and so I started it. And I looked over the first day, and that's about as far as I got. I was really excited about it. And then I saw the 16, 17 chapters every day, and I haven't looked at it since. So I'm, I'm hoping to get back to it. But I was really excited, really passionate, and now I'm just kind of like coasting. Like, whatever, I'll just continue to do whatever I've been doing for so long. And, and this is kind of our experience. And so Paul wants us to understand, and Paul's going to write a letter to a group of people who've had this experience. And if you're not familiar with Paul, or you're new to the church, or you're new to believing in God, Paul was this guy who hated Christians. He hated you and me. He persecuted people like you and me. And then all of a sudden, he falls in love with Jesus. He falls in love with Jesus, starts following Jesus, and never stopped moving forward ever since. In fact, he planted churches all over the world. He wrote a bunch of letters, which you know about, which then comprised most of the New Testament that you and I read. And so this guy was at it. He was always working hard when it came to serving God. But he writes to a community today that has sort of had this experience. They started out on fire. Paul plants a church. They're excited about what's going on. In fact, in fact, they are killing it up front. Everybody in the region knows about these people, and people are coming to faith because of them. 
But over time, over time, they've started to coast a little bit, and Paul recognizes that this is an issue for the community. And so he speaks up, and he writes this letter to this group of people in in, uh, Thessalonica, and he says this. He says, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, by the way, just reminding you that this is who we follow. This is exactly what we've given our lives to. He says, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer. Now, I know that you've been taught to keep away from every sinner, but Paul stands up and he says, wait a minute, I need you to keep away from every believer. Notice he doesn't say the pagans. Notice he doesn't say the atheist. Notice he doesn't say the people who are still figuring out what their whole faith journey is like. He's actually speaking to a group of people who really were working hard up front, but all of a sudden came to an understanding of who God was in their life. They were very churched. Maybe they were leaders in the church. Maybe they were Sunday school teachers. Maybe they were pastors. Maybe they were greeters and board members. I don't know what they were, but, but they were believers that over time came to this understanding, I know everything there is to know about God. And so they just started coasting. Why would we need to move forward? In fact, what Paul's really addressing the fact is they figured out that God's going to come back someday. So why should we work? Why should we do any work? Why don't we just eat food and take from everybody else and life will be good for us? And so Paul says, man, keep away from those believers who are idle and disruptive and who do not live according to the teaching that you receive from us. And he continues, this is important. He says, for you yourselves know you ought to follow our example. Hey, we weren't idle when we were with you. No, no, no. We were working. We were working. And he continues. He says, um, I think maybe that's it. Is that it? That's it. Good. He, we'll keep going here in just a second. But he, but he tells them, he tells them right up front, like, you have to stay away from these people who are idle. And what's really interesting to me is that this word he uses literally means truant. Any of y'all skipped class before? Any of you decided to dip out of school? Uh, no, you're all, okay, I guess. Todd, thank you, <laughs> worship leader. Ron, our Sunday school, see, you know. Um, a few of you have been truant in life. Uh, but, but this is kind of what Paul is talking about. Truancy is when we just don't show up. It was when a student, I worked with high school students for a long period of time, and we just know there were some students who went truant. They wouldn't show up, so you call the truancy officer who goes and finds them, who then drags them back to school, and it's really embarrassing. Uh, but Paul is saying, listen, it's not exactly like you're just absent. The problem is, is that you're present. You're present, you're here, you're showing up, but you're truant in your spiritual life. You're truant when you're here with these people. You pretend to be something that you're not. You're pretending to be like a believer. You're pretending that you're growing in your faith. But when it comes down to learning and growing and to moving forward, you're actually pretty comfortable. And because of your comfort and because you, you think you know there is everything there is to know about God, you have become truant in your faith. Now, I don't know what's more disingenuous. Um, and I, I kind of refer this to listening. Um, what's more disingenuous? If you don't look at me when I'm talking to you because you really don't care, or if you're looking at me pretending like you care when you really don't care. And Paul was saying, hey, I'd rather you just be absent altogether. 
Like, it's worse for you to show up and pretend like you care and be true than you really don't care. And, and so the question I want to ask you this morning is this, is am I idle? I think at the heart of it, we all have to ask this question about where we are when it comes to our relationship with God. Am I idle? It's so interesting, the other day after church, a couple weeks ago, there was a board member who, who man, serves in amazing ways at this church, and I walked up to her after church, and we were discussing the end of the day, and she goes, whew, man, another Sunday down. <laughs> um, I was a little bit confused by the statement at first when she said that. Whew, another Sunday down. Thank God it's over with. Um, uh, and some days I feel like that too. But she clarified, later that week I ran into her and she said, hey, you know, Brad, I really didn't mean to say that. That's not what I meant to say. Come on, You've, have you ever said something that, like, it sounded right in your head, but when it came out of your mouth, you were like, whoops. Like, that didn't really go well. Well, she said, I'm sorry, I meant to say something else. She said, what I meant to say was, on Sundays, I get this sense that God is up to something good and he's doing something amazing, like he's calling us to something great, but I'm not sure that we're there yet and I'm a little disappointed. See, this, this is the litmus test. She, she, she's essentially saying, I, I feel like God is calling us to something. I feel like God is moving us forward. I feel like we're really excited about how he's changing in lives and what he's doing, and I can't wait for his future. And I feel like we should have more of an impact on people's lives. And, but, but, man, it's just another Sunday. And so I would say to you, like, what she was expressing was an attunement to God's heart. Like, she's in line with God's spirit. God's spirit is working in her life and filling her in such a way that she's hungry, she's passionate, she's excited about her faith. And by the way, um, you know, she's a young, you know, 50, 30, whatever uh, she is. I don't know. I'm not going to uh, throw her under a bus. Um, but if you don't have that sense... If you don't have this sense within you that, man, God is calling me to something, God is moving me to something, God is asking me to do something, there is a good chance that you are comfortable. There's a good chance, if you just like church the way it is, and you just like showing up on Sunday, and you really don't feel like there's anything else for you to do, but this is definitely it, this is not it. In fact, I would say, and Paul would say, don't be truant. Don't be idle in your faith. And so he continues with another warning. Um, he says, on the contrary, talking about himself, which Paul tends to do at times, on the contrary, we work night and day, laboring and toiling so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did, uh, he says, we did this not because we do not have the right to such help, but in order to offer ourselves as a model, as a model for you to imitate. In other words, we're not going to ask you to do something we aren't willing to do ourselves. And it continues. For even when you were with us, we gave you this rule to live. You hate rules. Anybody else hate rules? I hate rules. I don't like people telling me what to do. Uh, and so typically, if you tell me to go do something, I'm going to do the opposite of what you've told me to do. That's just nature for me, I guess. But, um, but he says, we've given you this rule. And he says, the one who is, say it with me now, unwilling to work, say that with me, 
unwilling to work shall not eat. Ooh. The one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. And he continues, he finishes that out. He says, we hear that some among you are idle and disruptive, that you are not busy like you claim to be. You're just a busy body. That's a nice way of saying you're running in place. And he says, such people we command in urging the Lord in Jesus Christ. By the way, remember the people, person that we follow. He says, it's in Christ's name that we ask you to settle down. And what's he say? Earn the food that you eat. Now, I know that Paul is talking about the physical sense of you need to work. You need to work. You need to work. But in the spiritual sense, which I think it translates easily... He is saying to us that if you are unwilling to work in your faith journey, if you are unwilling to put in the work, if you're not striving, if you're not have, have a hunger or a drive to, to follow God even more, if you do not have that with inside of you, there's a good chance you are starving. Now, here's another litmus test. Now, you may not like this one, but it's just the truth. You know that when you're idle and disruptive, you will say things like, I don't feel like I'm being fed. You ever heard anybody say that before? I don't feel like I'm being fed here. I don't feel like I'm being fed over there. I don't feel like I'm, I don't feel like, I don't feel like, I don't feel like. And, and, and you know, uh, that's just a nice way of saying we don't like how things are going. But, but when did... Feeling fed become a substitute for actually being fed. See, I think we treat our spiritual lives like we eat sugar substitutes. Right? Some of you, how many of you, uh, you know that you're not supposed to eat a lot of sugar, so you, you put stevia, you put sweetener, you put other things in your food and in your drink that you think will keep you from consuming a bunch. Of, anybody do this? This is how we treat our spiritual life. This is a perfect example. Many of you don't know this, or maybe you know this, but... but Sugar substitutes are three times sweeter than sugar. And so when you drink your coffee with stevia or whatever it is, when you drink your coffee or eat your cookies or eat your brownies or whatever thing that you like to taste sweet, uh, your taste buds are preparing your body for calories. But what I think is so interesting is you actually may trick your taste buds, but you're not tricking your body. What researchers have found is even though you use sugar substitutes, at the end of the day, your body knows, even though you're tricking it into thinking it's feeling like it's fed or it's feeling like it's consumed a bunch of calories, your body knows that it's starving. And so what they found is you end up eating all those calories at the end of the day anyway because your body knows that it's not being fed, even though we're tricking it into thinking it's feeling you're with me on this? And Paul says, don't blame other people for not feeling fed. He says, you've got to put in the work. Right? 
You've got to put in the work. And part of the work is standing up and owning the fact that you are in charge of your own spiritual life. You are in charge of your own spiritual journey. In other words, if you look around you and everything is broken, your broken marriage, broken relationships, you don't feel like you're connecting, you're telling people they don't care about me, nobody ever texts me, nobody ever Facebooks me. If that's your response and that's how you get fed, then the problem is actually just you. Because you want other people to affirm you. You want other people to do the work for you. And Paul says, there is no substitute for skipping out on the work. In fact, he would say this, an unwillingness to work is a refusal to thrive. An unwillingness to work is a refusal to thrive. So now that I'm done picking on everybody and including myself and you're feeling really bad because you're like, man, um, I'm not sure that I'm on the right track. Hey, join the journey. It's exciting. It's fun. Paul gives us some encouraging words. Okay, it was sarcasm, but here we go. Are you ready for this? He says, and as for you, brothers and sisters, never tire of doing what is good. In other words, I know people take from you and take from you and take from you. Just keep doing good. He says, but take special note of anyone who does not obey the rule, the rule or instruction in this letter. Remember the rule. If you're unwilling to work, you're not going to eat. And he continues. He says, I love this. And we're going to stop here for just a second. He says, do not, say it with me now, associate, do not associate with them in order that they may feel what? Ashamed. Now, I want to I clue you into something. You have a great pastor. Because if, pa- if Paul was pastoring your church, there's a good chance you wouldn't be here. If I spoke to you the way Paul speaks to his people, uh, all of you would be dipping out. You'd be going across the street and nobody would be here. But he says, and I love this, he says, do not associate with them in order that they may feel Ashamed. Hey, we want to make you feel bad. We're going to throw shade on you. We're going to make you feel horrible about how horrible of a person you are. That's what we want to do. But, but come on, you know Paul doesn't really mean that, right? Like, we have to go just a bit deeper. And, and what, we find, what we find is when Paul says do not associate, he literally means do not mix together. Which I know that doesn't help much, much of us. You're like, uh, that's pretty obvious. We do not mix together. But, but think about this with me. Let's do some work real quick. How many of you love making cookies? How many of you love making them not out of a package where you pull them apart and put them on? No. How many of you love getting the bowl and you love getting the sugar and you love getting the butter and you love getting more sugar and more butter and you love the vanilla extract and eggs and flour and you you love getting, how many of you love doing that? How many of you are amazed by Yeah, A few of you are amazed by this. I mean, I'm 36 and I'm still amazed every time. Not that I make cookies all the time, but when I do... I'm amazed. And and this is kind of the the picture that Paul wants us to get. This is what he wants us to grasp. That that when you begin to make cookies and you put sugar and brown sugar and butter and all those wonderful ingredients into a bowl, when you first stare at it, you're like, how is this going to become what I need it to become? How is this going to look like a bunch of dough at the end? And so, you you know, you start working, right? And if you, you don't cheat, you use a fork or a whisk. I know. Some of us use mixers, and it flies everywhere, and it's a lot of fun. Uh, my kids love licking those when they're done. I cheat from time to time. Um, but 
you know when you're using a fork, it's a lot of work, and you're like, when is this ever going to be done? And at the end of it, it's so amazing. I don't know. I'm always amazed by how it all comes together. The sugar, the brown sugar, the butter, all of it, it just all comes together to the point where you can't tell the difference between the vanilla extract, between the eggs, between the brown sugar, the white sugar, the flour. You can't tell the difference. In fact, my guess is nobody in history has ever thought it would be a fun project to pull apart the dough and put it back in its original contents. Anybody ever done that before? Hey, I'm going to pull out the sugar, the brown sugar. I'm going to, I'm going to pull all that out and we'll start over again. No, you, chances are you, you can't do it. And the point that I'm trying to make here is that even though at the beginning they're separate, the more they are mixed together, the more you can't tell the difference between what is what. And what Paul is trying to say to us is don't let their idleness affect your daily habits. In other words, don't mix with them in such a way that you can no longer tell the difference of what journey you on, you're on and what journey they're on. Do not mix with them in such a way where you become just like them. And Paul wants to say, lazy. Now, I know those weren't the hopeful words you were looking for, right? So Paul is great at tearing people down, showing us what's wrong, but also giving us a gentle, beautiful nudge forward. So after he calls out all the believers who are idle and disruptive, and we studied this a few weeks ago, which I don't know if any of you remember this. Caleb in the first service said he didn't remember. So my guess is if Caleb Marklin didn't remember, you probably don't remember either. And here's what Paul says. Here's the encouragement. He says, yet do not regard them as an enemy. In other words... I don't want you to associate with them, but that doesn't mean you can't be around them. In other words, don't regard them as an enemy, but ward them as you would a fellow believer. Some of you will remember this. Warning is not a positive term that, that I would think of. When I'm, somebody's warning me, usually danger's on the way. But the word that Paul uses here literally means to encourage people. Do you remember this from a few weeks when we talked about the encouraging community? He says to warn a believer, warn a fellow believer. And what he wants to say is, and we said this, we need to do our best to bring out the best so others can be the best. Come on, you guys remember this from a few weeks ago? If you don't, this is, we're, we're going back. Paul says when you warn people, we don't start with what's wrong with their life. We start what's right with their life so we then can address what's wrong with their life. You've done this. I've done this. Nobody likes to start what's positive in somebody's life. We always start with the negative because we just want to let them know you're all messed up. You're running in circles. You're jacked up. And Paul says, no, 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 no. Listen, I need you to start with the best. When you look at that person, you need to start with the best in their life and you need to do your best because, by the way, it takes work to bring out the best of other people. It's not easy. When you've had a hard conversation with somebody, when you've had confrontation, when you're trying to talk with somebody about something, very rarely do we start with the positive and very rarely do we ever just 
man, it's easy to say that to them. So Paul says, do your best to bring out the best so they can be the best. That's what a community does. When somebody can't stand sufficiently in their own spiritual life, this is where we come alongside of them and we give them a gentle nudge and we push them and we encourage them, but we also point out what's wrong. And I may be wrong, I probably am. I've been wrong multiple times. But I think Paul understands that this happens in circles. Have you ever had an important conversation where you're trying to correct somebody out in the foyer? Hey, everybody, I want you to know that this guy's really messed up. He's really screwed up. Um, and no, nobody ever does that. What do you do? You either pull somebody aside or, or you have them over for dinner or you get in a group of people. Like, typically, you can only encourage people when you have that, we say that, when you have the relationship with them. And so I think Paul says, don't do it at the temple. Don't do it in, a bunch, you know, in front of a bunch of other people. He says, you've got to be in groups. You've got to be in homes. You've got to be in circles in order, in order to encourage people. But it's going to take lots of work. And so I, I, I just got to go back to what Tony said to me, you know, and this was so encouraging to me. It really was a warning to me in my life. He said, hey, I know it's hard, but the work is worth it. The work is rewarding. And I don't know a lot, but what I do know is in my own life, that when I've put work into being part of a circle or being part of a community group, my life has grown immensely. And I would say to you that it's our goal for you today to become self-sufficient. It's our goal for you today to learn how to work on your own to spiritually feed yourself. Your teacher can't do that. I can't do that. Only you can do that. We want you to be hungry. We want you to be passionate. We want you to be following. We want you to have this sense inside of you like God is doing something within you and is moving you forward to make an impact in this world. And I know when we say world, we think in this big grand context, but the world you live in, your school, your work, your home is part of the world. And so I would say, and you know this, that running in circles will take serious work. Work at it. Work at it. Work at it. Now, this is the last week. We're done talking about groups for a while. Some of you are like, thank God. But, but I would just say this. If you haven't signed up yet, if you're not signed up and you have no intention of signing up for our small groups, I would ask you to ask this question. Am I idle? Am I growing? Do I have a spiritual discontentment in my life that is 
causing me to drive after, to search after, to ask questions about the God who loves me. If you're not in circles, if you're not signing up, I'm just gonna be honest. It's just a flat out unwillingness. And I bet, as I've said before, if you're unwilling, if we were to talk for a few minutes, you're spiritually starving. Stop eating sugar substitutes and get with it. This is not about a program. It's not about growing our church. It's about growing each of you individually that then make up this community. And I want, I want as your pastor, healthy, thriving, forward-moving 